kind of ironic today. I was just thinking a while ago. I got this thing is loose. Oh boy. Okay, there we go. Of all the days that I'm going to do this message today, today probably the busiest day of the year. So you'll understand in a few moments. Because one of the things that so often happens is we find out is Christmas is sometimes becomes incredibly complicated. Uh, it's complicated in many ways. For instance, one of the reasons for me and maybe for you is complicated as well is that I have this kind of pressure in my life to surprise people uh, with the, exactly what they want. Now, how do you do that? I don't, how do you surprise people with exactly what they want? You know, I mean, I haven't figured that one out yet. You know, I mean, you want to give somebody exactly what they want, but you want to surprise them at the same time. The only way to t- get them exactly what they want is to take them to the store, walk with them. They point out to you, take it off the shelf and you pay for it. That's the only way to get exactly what they want. So how does that surprising people? It's impossible, right? But there's this pressure in our life at Christmas to do that. Another reason so often as a man, I'll just tell you this woman, one is, as a man that so often that uh, Christmas is complicated is because so often our, our wives, our, our girlfriends, um, I don't have both of those, I just have one of those, but uh, our, wives, our wives sometimes don't always tell us the truth. I'm not going to use the word lie because it sounds strong, but they don't always tell us the truth because so often at Christmas, um, you know, you ask, oh, what do you want, honey? And she goes, oh, I don't want anything, honey. Yeah, I really don't want anything. Yeah, I really don't need anything. I really don't want anything. But woe to you as a man if you really believe that's true. If you show up on Christmas morning and you have not gotten your wife or your girlfriend or whoever it happens to be anything, and they say that because, you know, it's just kind of something we say, right? Now, my wife told me I had to say this as a disclaimer to say that actually when she says she doesn't want anything, she really means it, but she's in a small percentage of maybe 1% of the world uh, that actually means what she says sometimes. So I'm not quite as confused about that. (laughs) And then there's this whole family thing at Christmas, the whole family thing. I mean, now, who are we going to go see? When are we going to go see it? You know, those of you you who, when you first got married, the probably the biggest decision uh, that you made, uh, it wasn't like, you know, how am I going to have kids? Or, you know, where am I going to work? Probably the hardest decision for many of you when you first got married was how, how are we going to spend the holidays? Or where are we going to spend the holidays? Um, are we going to spend it, you know, here or there or whatever? And, and it becomes this big battle. Or one of the ways that sometimes I get people into an argument during uh, premarital counseling is I ask them that question. Like I said, the first Christmas is coming. Who are, how are you going to spend? Who's going to spend the house? And let me tell you, I can get people in arguments very quickly. And I actually do it on purpose because I want to see how they fight in front of me. And so that happens so many times. Or one of the things that I know is going to happen because in a couple of weeks or a couple of days after Christmas, my wife and I are going to travel, get in the car and travel 12 hours to Virginia to visit our family. And uh, as we go there, we're going to be going around visiting some other family members across the state of Virginia. It's not just the 780 miles there, then it's like another 500 miles all around the state, then back to you know where we're going and about 780 miles back here. So over 2,000 miles by the time I finish all the trip which I'm not looking forward to. But, uh, but you know, one of the things I'll, I'll, I'll say to her, especially with a couple of people in our family, um, is when we get there, I'll ask this question. And, and guys, I, I don't know, maybe it's some of you ladies that ask the question too, but it's like you drive into the driveway, and before you do that, before you get out of the car, there's this question you know you shouldn't ask, but sometimes you do it anyway because you just want to be sure about what's going on. You start asking the question, like, like how, how long... How long are we planning on being here? Isn't that true? And the deal is, is not that, you know, not that it's, it, the deal is, is we not get, need to know how long we have to be social. And how long do we have to, you know, endure this? 
Let's just be honest, some of us, you know. So look, it, it helps a lot to do to know that thing, because if we just go there for, from a guy's standpoint, if we just go there and we kind of have to hang out and not know when it's going to ever end, it's like, you know, eternity. And so we don't know how to do it, so we ask that question. So it's complicated. Now, in all the complexities of Christmas, one of the things that should not be complex or complicated is the message of Christmas. It really shouldn't be because it's really a simple message. And I often wonder why so often people think the message of Christmas is so complicated. And I began to think maybe one of the reasons is because, is because so many times, pastors, we know something. We know that the two times a year, and I'll just be honest with you, two times a year that the most people that come to church don't come to church other times a year, guess what they are? Easter and Christmas. And so knowing that, we're going like, well, man, I'm only going to get them that one time, so I better give it all to them. And we give them this whole just conglomeration of stuff. So I want to tell you today, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to keep this message very simple, very straightforward, very plain. And so sometimes it kind of complicates the message. It's kind of like this. Um, last, not this past summer, but summer before last, um, I was invited to go to Canada fishing, and so I went to Canada fishing, and I loved it. It was really cool, and, and uh, spent some days up there, but I didn't really have, I borrowed some fishing equipment and whatever, because I had, I used to grow up, when I grew up, I was fish, fished a lot, and I hadn't done it in a long time, and so when I got back, uh, that fall is when Bass Pro Shops opened, and I decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to go buy me a, you know, good, some, some fishing gear and, uh, and go fishing some more, and I'll tell you what happened. I had not been fishing for for fishing stuff since I was a kid, which was a few years ago. And uh, and so I walk in the Bass Pro Shops. And have you ever been to Bass Pro Shops and walked into the... You know, I walked in there and I asked the dumbest question, do y'all have fishing gear? <laughs> and, the, and the lady looks at me like I'm just like an alien or something, and she kind of points in a direction. And so I go over there, and, and there's like... Have, have you ever tried to buy... You know, if you're a fisherman, you go like, oh, it's fishing heaven. But you walk in there and there's like a zillion fish. It's like trees and fo- a forest of fishing poles and fishing gear. It's just like everywhere. And I'm going like, how can it be this complicated? I mean, when I grew up, you just went to the store, you went to Walmart, and you got, you know, there was three fishing poles on the rack and that's what you got, one of them. And let me tell you, it was so overwhelming for me, you know what I did? I didn't even go into the fishing section. I said, forget it. I just walked out the store. Because it was just too much to comprehend. And I still haven't fished since then. Sometimes we can get so much information, so much things going on, that we totally miss the point of what, what we're trying to uh, talk about and what we understand. So today what I want to do is I want to uncomplicate the message of Christmas for us. I want us to think about what it really means. And, and I want us to... Keep it as simple as possible today. Because when you think of the Christmas story, most of us can relate to some simple parts of the Christmas story. Because whether you grew up in church or not, if you went to school, which most of us did, somewhere along the way you had some parts of the Christmas story. You you may have played a role, like some of the people on the stage today did. But you probably played a role. How many of you played shepherds? Ever played a shepherd when you was a little kid? Anybody here? Wise man? Mary? Joseph? Any any role at all in a Christmas play, any kind. You know, when you're three, when you're... You see, most of you did that, so you know some of the Christmas story. You can relate to those parts of the Christmas story. It was simple enough for you to understand those things. Now you're sitting there thinking about, oh gosh, I remember doing that. 
The thing about it is the Christmas story is very simple. So I just want to use one verse out of the Christmas story today to get us kind of launched into it. And that verse is out of Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And it says this, as, as the Christmas story is unfolding, it says this, the angels come and they say this, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. The message of Christmas, the simple message of Christmas is this, is God has brought us good news. Good news. This is the simplest of messages. Is there anything about the message of Christianity that you think, when you think of the message of Christianity, do you think about it as good news? If for some reason you don't think about the message of Christianity as good news, it's perhaps because somebody has distorted the message. I mean, if there's anything about the church that in your past does not strike you as good news, then somebody may have distorted or presented a poor characterization of the church. Because when somebody comes up to you and they look at you in the eye and they say this to you, they say, I've got good news. The first thing you don't think about is this. The first thing you don't think about is, well, what am I going to have to do? Do you? When somebody says, I've got good news. You don't start thinking about the list of stuff that you have to do or how much it's going to cost you. When somebody says, I've got good news, what it means is this. I'm going to give you some information that how you're going to respond, it's going to go, that's awesome. That's what it means when we hear the word good news. And that's what the angel said. The angel said, I have come. God is coming. God's going to do something that is good news. And it's for everybody. Good news means this. It means there's this opportunity that's coming my way. Good news means... That everybody, uh, you know, that, uh, that means that there's something that's going to happen that's going to make my life better. Good news means that our teacher canceled the exam and everybody gets an A. Good news means that, that everybody gets a bonus this year. Good news means that your mother called and she doesn't want us to come for Christmas. Well, not, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But whatever that is, good news means something that's good. It's good. You don't start asking these questions about, you know, well, what do I have to do because of the good news? Because when somebody says, I have good news, you don't immediately think in the back of your mind a list of things you have to do. And when the story of Jesus comes at Christmas, and the angels announce that I have some good news, the message of the Christmas story is 100% good news. That's what it is. But maybe it's gotten so complicated with all the other stuff that you have heard in your life that when you're, it's like standing in the, in the edge of the, the fishing section, which is half the store, at Bass Pro Shops and, and just being overwhelmed. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to you. Because we think sometimes the good news is something that it's not. What is, what is the good, the good news is not this. The good news is not straighten up. You know, sometimes we think Christianity is about what? Straighten up. Quit messing up. Get your act together. Is that good news? I wouldn't call that good news. Because every religion's religious system says something about get your act together, straighten up. These are the things you can do to get close to God. But that's not the good news that God tells us at Christmas. So I want to explain to you why the angel would say this is good news. And why I want to say this today to all of you is this, because I know that people are here with all different places in life where they are. Some of you are, are Christians, you've been Christians for years. Others of you are people who kind of showed up today for various reasons and you're kind of like seeking or trying to, you said, man, I need, I need to get to church again. 
I need to examine something. I need to look at something. So I want to share with you something today that if you, ne- if you decide to never become a Christian, I want to des- describe to you what you are deciding not to become a part of. And maybe the reason that you've not become a Christian is because you've been pushed away from Christianity because of some church experience or because you have known some Christians, because you've maybe been married to a Christian before. Um, maybe you did business with people who said they were Christians. And because of those experiences, if I had those same experiences, I might be pushed away from Christianity as well. Just be honest with you. But I just want to let you know that if you choose not to become a Christian today, this is what you're choosing not to embrace, which I really believe is good news. And I want to look today at a verse that we usually don't look at at Christmas, but really is everything about the good news. It's probably one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. It's written by the guy, one of the guys who hung out with Jesus, one of his core group of people that he that hung out with him for years and years. And the guy, this guy wrote probably more of the New Testament other than the, the Apostle Paul wrote the most, but this is the guy who wrote the next most. And he, this guy was spent a whole lot of time with Jesus. His name was John. And probably one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture is John 3.16. And John 3.16 starts off by saying this, For God so loved the world that He gave. For God so loved the world that He gave. God did what you do when you truly love somebody. He gave. That's what you do when you love somebody. You give. And for the people in, in, in Jesus' day when he said this, it was truly an amazing revelation. Because if you have studied history and know anything about the people of that day, what they saw the God of the gods that, they were the Roman and Greek gods of mythology, they were not people who gave, they were gods who took. And that's how the people saw the, the relationship between God or gods and mankind. That, that gods were people who basically took from you. And, and, and so that's how they saw God. But so often in our world today, that's what we look at God as. Well, God, if I straighten up, if I do these things, if I have all this list together, God, you'll love me more. And that's not the good news of Scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave. And then this says, and then the next part says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. He gave the thing that was most valuable to Him. His one and only Son. I cannot stop thinking the last few days about all the stuff that has gone on in Connecticut. Can you? Because you, you can't get it off. The, if you turn on the news, it's there. And I'm thinking about, you know, the precious children that we talk about. But then I was started this morning. I was sitting breakfast over here at Country Corner, uh, Country Kitchen or whatever it's called down the street here. It's 6 a.m. I do it every Sunday morning on my way to church here. And as I was sitting there, I was kind of browsing some things. And I'm thinking, that is horrible what's happened there. But did you know that every day in our world, uh, every day in our world, 16,000 children die from malnutrition? Children. Did you know that last year that over 3 million children under the age of five died because they didn't have enough food to eat? I mean, it's, it's a disaster what's happening in our world. Sometimes we never think about it until something like a disaster that happens in Connecticut brings us face to face with reality. But it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son. He gave that was much valuable to him. And then his son gave his own life for us. And then it says, as it goes on a little bit further in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever, whoever believes in Him, 
Whoever. It says whoever. That's an important word that we kind of sometimes gloss over because it means that no matter who you are, young, old, how far you've been from God, no matter where you've been, no distinction whatsoever. It's for whoever. The good news is for everyone. Whoever. And sometimes we think in our world, well, some people deserve the good news better than others. But the fact is, is none of us deserve it. Whoever. And then even though this message this morning is, is kind of basic, I wanted to go for those of you who like deep and deep stuff. I'll give you five minutes of deep stuff this morning. OK, this is where it gets deep in Greek. For five whole minutes. So this is for those of you who, who need that. OK, um, he then John chooses the world. He says, whoever believes in him, the word, the Greek word there, uh, the Greek word is pistio and pistio basically is a common word used by used by John that basically means uh, it's it's a word that basically is had a, has a preposition added to it in which means that we believe in something it's like believe in Santa Claus believe in love believe in this believe in that it's just a common word uh, but you, the normal preposition that most of the time was almost all the time was used in Greek uh, John was going and he was looking at this he's going like that doesn't really get it because it's not about believing just in Jesus there's something more so he added a little preposition. And it's this, this little EIS that's on the screen. It's ice. And, and when he says that, if you don't, you know, this is where the Greek part comes in. And, and if sometimes we don't get it in translation, um, it means not just simply believe in something, uh, to believe, to believe uh, in something, but it means to, to move toward, to lean toward, to trust in, to place all your, all, all your trust in. It's kind of like this. I've used this illustration. Right now, I'm standing on my legs. I believe in my legs to hold me up. Okay? But this chair here, you know, the thing is, is I can look at this chair all day. I can talk about this chair. I can say, I believe that this chair is really here. But when I believe in the chair, I place my full weight on the chair. And I believe it's going to hold me up. I trust in the chair. It's kind of a simple illustration, but basically what it's what the Greek stands for there. It means when I says, when it says this whole thing in John 3.16, that whoever believes in him uh, believes in him. It's talking about not believing about him. It's talking about placing our trust, our, all of our, all of our weight in God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him places their trust in him. And then it says this, it says that whoever does that shall not perish but we'll have eternal life. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. Shall not perish is exactly what it says. It, it basically means this. It's something that will keep on going forever. And I know that all of us want to live forever because we think that's the goal of everything else is to keep living, 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 living. That's, we, try to, we try to push away aging. You know, We try to use hair coloring. We uh, get facials. I don't get a facial. I've never had one of those. But anyway, you know, we get all these different things going on to us to kind of keep us from aging. But the reality is we age. But the thing is, it says that God did something for us that whenever we believe, we place our trust in him. It says we shall not perish. But then it says we will have eternal life. And eternal life sometimes is, is not what we think it is in scripture. Because when we think of eternal life, we just think of heaven, right? Is that the first thing you think of when you think of eternal life? You think of heaven. And it sounds obvious that that's what we would think of. 
But see, John had lived with, uh, he had walked with Jesus. He had, wa- uh, he had been beside Jesus as he taught. And then in his older age, John writes this letter, letter to, uh, this gospel letter. And he knows all the things that Jesus has taught when he writes it. He also wrote some letters to a church, to some churches there. And he also wrote a book called Revelation as well. And so he had all these things that, and his encounters with Jesus that he understood. And so he knew that when he was using this here, he knew what Jesus meant by eternal life which is not always what we think of. And I was reminded of that this week as I was studying this. And, and I was reminded that John also quoted in John 17, chapter 1, in verses 1, 2, and 3, he quotes a prayer that Jesus prayed, that where Jesus actually defines clearly for us what eternal life is. And it's not what we think. Yes, I believe that when we become a believer and accept Jesus Christ and put our faith in Him, one of the side benefits of that is that we put our trust in Him and that we have eternal life. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. Because He says it in John 17, 1, He says, The Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that Your Son may glorify You. And then He says this in verse 2, For You granted Him authority over all the people that He might give eternal life to all those You have given him. And then in verse 3, this is where he says this. He says this. Now this is eternal life. He defines eternal life. Jesus defines eternal life. This is eternal life. That they may what? Know you. That they may know you. Eternal life is that he may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what does Jesus define eternal life as? Eternal life is not simply living forever. Eternal life is having a relationship with the living God. It's all about this relationship that changes everything. So when does eternal life start for the person who places their trust in God? Do you have to wait till you die? No. It starts from day one when you do this. It's about this relationship. It's not just about spending life with God in heaven for eternity. And that's see, that's the good news. That's the good news that that the angels came to say. It's truly good news. It's not about just getting your life straight. It's about placing your trust in God in such a way that what happens is, is that you have this relationship with him that you walk and you talk with him each day. He gives you encouragement each day. That's what you can that's why you can face anything. Anything that happens in this world because of the relationship with Him. See, it's purely relational. Jesus is saying, I want to give mankind a knowledge of and a relationship with God. And that's what He's saying here. And then He says again, John also says it at, at the very beginning of His Gospel in John 1, 12. It says, Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become what? Children of God. It's about a relationship once again. Eternal life is really about a relationship with God that starts here upon this earth and we place our trust in Him and it can last for all of eternity. It's not just about heaven. So how, do you, how do you, how's that work? Well, the whole thing can be kind of honed down into, into four little two-word phrases. It's like this. God loved... God gave, we believe, we receive. God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. God says God gave His Son. The good news is God gave His Son because He loved us so much. We believe. And how do we believe? 
How do we believe? We believe by placing our trust in, in Him. You see, even if you don't believe or haven't bought into this whole thing of Christianity, I don't know how you can think that is not good news. That God loved you so much and me so much that He gave us something that we didn't deserve. How can we possibly think that's not good news? And if that wasn't enough to, to, uh, to convince you and convince me, um, John follows his most famous verse in John 3.16 with the very next verse. It's kind of like saying, well, you know, if, if, if in case it's just not real clear, I want you to understand something. And so in verse John 3.17, this is what he says. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, not to come to you and go like, you better get straight. That's not what He did it for. He didn't come, send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So that means if you've ever felt condemned by Christians or by the church, you've received a wrong message. See, John, the guy who walked with Jesus, who wrote down what Jesus said, clearly says that God did not send His Son into the world to shake His finger at us and condemn us. No, He sent His Son that through Him the world might be saved. And saved means rescued. Saved means that God is this mystery. Now, now, uh, now I can know God. I don't know what's going to happen after I die, but it's alright because I have God. I can place my trust in Him. And I can live day to day for Him. So the angel came and could say with no qualifiers this, these words. He could, they could say, I'm bringing you good news. It's 100% good news. And it's for everybody. Not just for those who get their act together. Because folks, I, I, I guarantee you this. That once you become a believer in Christ and place your faith in Him, you still will not have your act totally together. All of us still sin. But God gives us something. He says, place your trust in me. Place your faith in me. And I'll give you the gift that it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So the question this morning as we close is this. Has there ever been a moment in your life when you made that exchange? When you quit Deciding to trust in you, in what you believe, your good deeds, your good intentions, your own generosity, no matter how good it is. And you decided to place your trust fully into Jesus. Because I can say this, as long as you're trusting in you, this is what I know about you. As long as you're placing your trust in you, as long as you're trusting in you... To get into God's good graces, you have no idea where you stand with God. You have no idea where you stand with God. Because you cannot find it in any religious system or any writings that is clear that lets you know where you always stand in God. There's always questions about where do I stand in relationship to God. So there's no performance-based certainty in any religious system in all the world. It doesn't exist. 
But Jesus has said to us at Christmas, I've, God says to us at Christmas, the angels say to us at Christmas, I've got some great news. It's good news. I want to take your fear away. I want to take your insecurities away. I want to take away the unknown. I want, to, I want you to know for sure that you can have a relationship with me. And I want to give you something. Which is a relationship with the Father. And like any gift, all you have to do is receive it. And how do you receive it? You receive it by placing your trust. By placing your trust, your full weight in Him. And trust in what God says that Jesus did on your behalf. That's the simple message of Christmas. That's the message that the angels came and said, hey, this is good news. This morning as we close, I just want to share this with you. If you've never done that, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, today you can do that. You don't have to... Hey, folks, I know, hey. (laughs) I've talked to people this week. I don't have to go back even a long history. Can it be just this past week? And every one of us will say, well, you know, God, I don't deserve God's forgiveness. I don't deserve. You're right. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. Okay. We've all messed up. But God did not give us the gift of his son because we deserved it. He loves us because that's who he is. And all you have to do is say to him, God, I want to accept your gift. I want to place my trust in you. I want to live life in a different way. And it can only happen when we receive the gift. The simple gift that he sent at Christmas. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.